one important thing is venture-backed companies have become so pervasive in our culture. Like, everybody is carrying around in their pockets or their purses or their backpacks pieces of technology from venture-backed companies, and we're using those pieces of hardware to access more venture-backed pieces. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting, and my very special guest is Steve Gillen of Azure Partners. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. So we, we just talked for about 15 minutes with the, with the mics off, so we're going to recapture every all the great yes. points we were making there. We memorized it. Yes. Uh, so Steve was an old friend of mine. We've been friends for probably 15 years. Yeah. We did a deal together way back in the day. But maybe mm-hmm. give everyone your, your quick background. Yeah. So I spent uh, a number of years of public companies and reporting and international finance operations. Went to my first startup, Alibris, uh, back in the late 90s, which is where we met. And you lent us money and we paid you back with interest. Yes. Thank you for doing that. And then uh, after a couple more startups, uh, I've been at Azure Capital Partners for about seven years now. And Azure is a VC fund, like early stage VC fund, right? Yes, yeah. So when I started back in 2009, we were uh, Series A, Series B initial investments. And now out of our third fund, we're doing mostly post-seed, pre-Series A deals. As the Series A pricing and amounts uh, got out of hand, we decided let's let's make some more earlier bets. And that's really paid off for yeah. us. So when a, when a company is starting to have kind of the inkling of traction, that's when, when you guys when get involved. When they're showing, yeah, starting to show significant growth in their traction, whether it be revenues or user growth or some other indicator or significant biz dev deals that they've just signed and are about to launch, that's when we, we yeah. pull the trigger. That's awesome. And maybe um, tell them about your role at Azure because you have a pretty unique role. Yeah. So I'm the, I'm the CFO, which, which isn't unique among venture firms, but um, (laughs) guys at Azure wanted, wanted me to come on board because of my startup experience. Uh, So I, I spend as much of my time as possible. If it was my choice, uh, it would be a hundred percent of my time helping startups. Uh, So we invested early stages. They often don't have a finance team. We, uh, at some point, refer them to, to folks like you. And what we do is help them with, I help them with everything finance. I help them look for debt deals. I help them find accountants. I help them with their planning, uh, forecasting models. Uh, just help them with board decks. Uh, just help them make sense out of the finance systems. It's um, amazing how, like, you name, like, and I want to talk about all three of those things you name, but, like, just simple forecasting, how startups, I mean, we do the same thing. We help startups with very basic forecasting mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not rocket science, but a lot of times the founders are, you know, technical people who are great engineers, but mm-hmm. maybe haven't really worked with an income statement balance sheet before. Like, right. How do you, how do you communicate with them about this stuff? Or do you have like a little boot camp you put people through or how do you teach them? I, you know, every, every company is, is different. And so what I, kind of take them through is the whole process of, you know, what is your business? What, what are you trying to do? What's your revenue model? And then let's make that planning and forecasting model reflect your business. Uh, so often we see companies that, you know, insist upon doing gap accounting and gap accounting 90% of the time is, is the wrong way to understand your business, yeah. right? So first you have to understand your business, then put a model together in, in as much granularity as possible 
uh, to get down to that final plan. Yeah. A lot of times what I'll do, and tell me if you think this is smarter or stupid, I'll talk to them about kind of, we always say like KPIs, like the, mm-hmm. the four or five key performance indicators. Yeah. And we let those things, and those might be like customer acquisition, how much it costs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how long you hold on to a customer, like the lifetime mm-hmm. value of a customer and things right. like that. Right. And then we'll use those to drive the financials. But I always like them to then think 12 or 18 months forward mm-hmm. and think about what they need to show the next venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, you know, proof or definitely. what traction and then work backwards. Right. Do you like do anything? Like yeah, that definitely. Or? I mean, we always think about what's that next round. What do you, what do you kind of improvements do you have to show in your KPIs to yeah. get to that next round? And we are investing in a number of consumer companies. So that CAC LTV model is really important. Yep. And you can calculate those things a ton of different ways, right? Yeah. Actually, and, do you mind walking everyone through that? Because I don't think people always know how to calculate that. Yeah. So, so CAC should be pretty simple, not, right? Sounds dirty. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cost, uh, right? Cost of acquiring a customer, yes. right? So. Yes. You know, simply put, it's it's just it's the total cost you spent acquiring customers, whether it be you know search marketing display, you know PR, other, yeah, yeah, any way that you've brought customers to the to 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 your product, and divided by the number of new customers in that month, right? So that should be fairly simple, but there are different ways to look at it. Did you really spend that money to acquire customers that month? Maybe in the following months, but you still count it that month, right? Yep. Because you're going to continue spending. Long term, we have some companies where they'll a customer will come to their website in month one, but they might not make a purchase for four or five months, right? But you have to count that spending every month. Yep. LTV can be a little bit more tricky, right? There's a lot of assumptions that go into it, kind of almost like an option pricing yes, model. Yes. Like, okay, what do I want my LTV to be, right? Oftentimes, entrepreneurs are very good at at presenting the LTV that makes them look the best too, which right. God bless them. That's what they should be doing. Well, a lot of times we'll see LTV and it's, it's basically lifetime revenue, which that's great, but your margins are 12%. Yeah. So your LTV is really, you know, <laughs> a, fra- you a small that? fraction, like, right? So, so you acquire, if you're a dating site or maybe someone with more direct costs, I don't know what's a, maybe e-commerce company, e-commerce company right? and you, and there, and an average customer spending 50 bucks a month for 12 months, that's $600, which right, is great. Right. So are they going to only stay for 12 months, you know, you can, in an early stage company, you have to make assumptions about how long are these customers going to stay with us. So maybe that's 18 months, right? On average. So that would be 900 bucks, but then you discount that back, right? So there's a present value of that $900 you earn in the future at whatever gross margin you're you're earning. And that's got to be all in margin too, not just some arbitrary gap cost of goods sold you subtract out of revenues it has yep. to be you know any cost that is associated with that revenue stream yep. right so, so maybe you spend 450 bucks on that customer bought a bunch of furniture and it's 450 mm-hmm. bucks mm-hmm. so your your gross margin is only 450 dollars and then maybe there's some customer support costs or other things right that go so into another hundred dollars maybe comes yeah. out of that so that's 350 and yep. then you discount that back at some interest rate. So yeah. maybe your LTV instead of being three fifty is three three twenty or yep. something like yep. that. And so if you're spending five hundred dollars to bring that customer in, that's not a good business. <laughs> not, Azure right, doesn't right. fund those kind of companies. No, no. <laughs> Do you have a rule of thumb like what multiple you like to see? Because I've heard some numbers kicked around. I mean initially uh, again it's gonna depend on the type of company. You know, initially we want to see your your LTV cover your your CAC, 
right? Because you, you might want to spend a lot initially to kind of build up that customer base. But eventually we'd like to see it like three times. Yeah. And I, that, that, that number is changing all the time. So I've always heard three, uh, 3X is a fundable company. Mm-hmm. 5X is like the greatest company of all time. And if, if you, and you're, you had this example of like one of your portfolio companies has a 5X on their first purchase. Mm-hmm. Which is insane. So that's like a company that people are probably rushing to invest in, right? Yeah, yeah. So and and that that's not probably not going to sustain itself, but it's still going to. It's a good place to start rather yeah. than having a zero point five LTV to yeah. cap ratio and trying to <laughs> dig yourself out of that hole. Do you have you made a good point there, which is um, that companies can't always sustain these multiples, or like mm-hmm. maybe I've heard this in e-commerce a lot. The oftentimes kind of the first group of customers you acquire are. They love whatever you're doing. It's like the mm-hmm. it's you're, you've thought of this thing, and they're a niche, and they're they're made for you. Mm-hmm. And then as you try to get bigger, as you take more financing, you start kind of having to to convert people who aren't naturals for you, but still want your product. Right. And that ratio kind of goes down or changes. Like, have you seen that in your career? Or yeah, experienced so we, that? And we and we look at uh, we we make sure when we're evaluating an investment and we continue to evaluate the companies after we invest that they do a cohort analysis. So, oh, yeah. you know, kind of what percentage of your, of your customers are staying with you and for how long. So we'll often see, you know, after the first purchase and maybe with a subscription model, right. The, of the people that come to your website, let's say 10% of the people subscribe. And then of that hundred percent of the people that did subscribe three months from now, how many are still yeah. on it? 12 months, 18 months and then as you continue to go forward and acquire new customers how does that uh how does that keep rate yeah and i always i always love they're like these vintage analysis where everyone it's it's always great when the curves all look the same over time because then Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's predictable it's very predictable and that's what we like to see in our companies as well right and as they make changes to the business model or come up with a new or complementary business model or acquire a small company and kind of fit that into their sales stream, is that going to fit that same predictable yeah. curve? And that's what the, I always find the late stage people, late stage VCs are super focused on predictability, which makes sense. Cause I think, mm-hmm. or maybe you, maybe you can explain to the audience why, why late stage cares more about that than someone like you who's coming in very early. Yeah, I mean, late stage, the, the the VCs are going to want to have a liquidity event within two to three years yeah. versus the one to seven that the as rest of us possible, want, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so you really want predictability. You want to see a good track record. So if 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 a VC is making a late stage investment, they're going to look for not just your performance over the last three five years. They're going to look for your plan to performance over the yeah. last three to five years. Yeah. So do you have a predictable business and have you met your plans? Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, because yeah. for folks that don't know, when you do an IPO, initial public offering, the management team actually goes on a roadshow all across the country, mm-hmm. really the world. They go meet investment managers all over. Yeah. And that same kind of pitch that you did as when you're pitching someone like Azure at the early stage and you're pitching late stage VCs, mm-hmm. you're actually doing a form of that pitch to the public market investors. Yes. Yeah. And these guys and, and women sit in this room and they hammer right. the CEO. Except I, you're doing that pitch at a supper club in New York City versus <laughs> a conference room like this one in San Francisco. Almost as cool as a supper club, but not quite. It you, it's cooler, you but it's a lot less intimidating. Did you do that for Libris or something? We like did, yeah. 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 What so was we, that like? Was it crazy? 
It was. I mean, there's the the travel schedule is crazy. Yeah. You know, Fill people in like that. Those are good war stories. Yeah, I mean, we were in in London for a day, and we had I think it was seven meetings in one day. You know, so fly in in the previous afternoon. Uh, you know, seven totally meetings the next day. Yeah. Saw Eric Clapton at Royal Albert Hall that wow, night. That's cool. That's awesome. And then went home the the next uh, morning. Yeah. You know, and then after one day of rest and recovery from jet lag, supposedly. Uh, hit the road here in the Bay Area, and then you know San Diego, Chicago, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Denver, New York. Yeah. So it's 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 nuts. That it's so, gonna be crazy. Like you just stand up there and tell a story, thirty minutes at a time is. all day. It is now now later stage companies pitching for more private equity. Uh, they'll have a they could have a similar schedule. Uh, I mean, at, at Alibris, we did for our series. I think it was Series D. We, we traveled extensively to raise that round, and we've seen our companies that are you know, reaching some kind of a scale and maybe raising their Series C. They're, they're definitely you know, putting in mini roadshows yeah. in order to, to raise that next round. Is that because it's like you're trying to tap a deeper investor base? Like you want – maybe there's a late-stage firm, yeah. a, a mutual fund in Boston that will invest in New York. Yeah, or, and, or, and a different type of investor. Yeah. So a late-stage investor is going to – for us, if we invest in a Series A, that's that's kind of the middle of our spectrum, right? Yeah. For a late stage firm, one of our companies might be at the very, very early stage, yeah. and maybe you know, ventures become very popular here over the last right, right five plus years. So, yeah. these later stage firms are kind of creeping earlier into the into the spectrum. Yeah. So, why do you? And uh, this is a loaded question, but why do you think they're creeping earlier? Like I have my own theories, but why why do they do that? Well, I think they see the the great returns that a lot of VCs have had. Yeah, and yeah there's a lot of uh, press out there about you know some some venture models you know don't work, and there's new venture models out there. But there's still you know there are firms that have great returns, yeah. and there are investments that have great returns. Uh, so I think that's part of it. I think you know one important thing is venture backed companies have become so pervasive in our culture. Like everybody is carrying around in their pockets or their purses or their backpacks pieces of technology from venture-backed companies, and we're using those pieces of hardware to access more venture-backed pieces. Yep. I was watching something on Netflix last night, The Fall, mm-hmm. and uh, a psychologist was interviewing a serial killer. She was asking him questions about Facebook, and it's like, there's, it's just so pervasive That's in the culture. Yeah. And there's uh, yeah, a, New York, a New Yorker writer, uh, local San Franciscan, Nathan Heller, who has uh, he's written stories about technology, um, and uh, a couple of them have been about this. Just how the, the, the cultural shift is is moving. You know, the, the, the drivers of our culture yeah. have moved you know, to the West Coast, uh, at least the, the northern part of the West Coast. <laughs> it's totally true. Right? It'll get. I think it'll be even crazier when uh, self driving cars and some of that stuff mm-hmm. happens because that's that's traditionally a sector that like Silicon Valley never touched. Right. Right. But now it's, they're getting into it. And yeah. that's that like, you just think culturally, like how many car commercials do you see when you watch a football game mm-hmm. or, you know, the romanticism of driving on the, a long yeah. road trip. And it's like, right, right. That's really going to change. Yeah. There's definitely more VCs in self-driving cars than in beer companies <laughs> to use that football <laughs> commercial totally. analogy. Totally. So, so the late stage guys, they see opportunity. They think they can get in earlier, get a better return, and then also just that's just where where the action is nowadays. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's it's the returns that they think they can get. Yeah. But I do think there's a little bit of the 
the sexy factor too that that is driving them there. Yeah. Did you did you guys ever because you guys made a choice? You're like, hey, we're going to go early, which which mm-hmm. maybe you can talk about some of the trade offs like a dis- that, that kind of decision for Azure comes with. So it's like more risk, more return, but you know, also potentially you could have, you could swing and miss on a lot of companies and not have the returns eventually. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for the size of our fund, our last couple of funds have been, uh, you know, just over a hundred million and you have to make bets and you have to take, you know, the appropriate risks. And so if, if we did just traditional series A and series B, we'd have fewer at bats. Yeah. That's a great point. Right? So partly it's because we wanted more at bats and we're investing in these post-seed companies, and if a new investor comes along and uh, puts a Series A together, puts a term sheet in for a Series A, uh, then we decide, are we going to go ahead and participate mm-hmm. in the Series A? And we've done that with a handful of them. Yeah. Um, we don't lead the Series A. Uh, generally, we don't lead the Series A on these companies. So um, when we're putting a small amount of capital together, if we don't go on and invest in the follow-on, there are a number of them where we have not invested in the follow-on then you're going to need a really outsized return, yeah. outcome in order to get a get a meaningful yeah. return. So it's our our bet that the ones that we're you know we're putting money into in the Series A are are going to do really well. Since the we best have, of the best. Since we have more of the, the it's, ownership, it's a way for for you guys to like double down on investment essentially mm-hmm. and do your pro rata. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's the dollar amounts have gotten really big for Series A's, but I feel like folks like you, I feel like you're in the sweet spot of the opportunity because you can see some form of traction. Obviously, it is risky, mm-hmm. but you're not being forced to write like a $10 million check or something like that. Right. Like we regularly see companies raising $10 million Series A's now, which yeah. which five years ago was just didn't happen. Right. The question is, what are you, you going to do with that $10 million? Because it is so much cheaper now than it was even, even three, yeah. four years ago, especially 10, 15 years ago, yes. to, to start a company. You don't really have to Talk about why. In yeah, it's. I mean, every it, you can you can rent everything, right? You don't have to buy. You don't have to fill your server. You don't need a server room. First of all, you don't need. You know, real estate is expensive, but you don't need that extra real estate with an air conditioner in it to have your server. Yep. So, you can get cloud services uh, very cheaply. Um, you just don't need the same kind of uh, investment that you needed in the past. Yeah. And I think just you don't need necessarily to, to travel so much anymore. You don't need as much office space, I don't think, as you did before yeah. because people are working remotely more and more. That's true. They're also more comfortable working closer together in open mm-hmm. open areas. Yeah, and I see the Bay Area becoming more like New York now in terms of offices. Like your office here, like used to walk into a Bay Area startup, and it was a fair amount of space for yeah. people. But as real estate costs have come up, it's more like a New York startup where – People are very close together yeah. and fine with it. Yeah. Right? We find that it actually, we actually don't really, we have one person who works remotely and she's like our virtual office manager. She's a, her name's Liz. She's a, a military family. And so mm-hmm. she moved uh, to Seattle and moved to, to Japan recently. Uh-huh. We want to keep supporting her and she's an amazing woman. But everyone else we have working here because mm-hmm. we f- we find that people learn much faster mm-hmm. when there's just like this give and take and a little bit of a buzz in the right, office. Right. They're learning way faster. They can learn from each mm-hmm. other's mistakes. It's it's actually really productive. Yeah, we have we've made a number of investments in Canada, and we decided oh. uh, with this third fund to, to put somebody in Canada, and we just hired a new person, and they're going to be here for four to five months in the Bay Area, in our office. That's smart. You know, yeah. learning learning how we work. We're going to learn how she works, yeah. and before she she moves on up to Calgary. 
Um, and it's, it's, it's a great way to get people to understand you know, how you work. And you can't do that by having a phone call every yeah, day. Or especially like in investing because they need to know what the rest of the partnership wants to see. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they'll just bring a bunch of deals that everyone just rejects. And they'll be right. you know, dejected. And right, work. right. Real quick, what, what kind of stuff does Azure look for? Like where are you guys investing or what, what's the, the optimal industry that you guys like? We've, we've done quite a bit of, of e-commerce and e-commerce Subscription businesses, so a couple of them that are notable are, are uh, Latote, which is oh, the yeah. uh, the uh, women's fashion uh, subscription company. Yeah. So it's kind of like the 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 Netflix DVD model, right? You pay a monthly subscription, you fill out your virtual closet, they send you five items, you wear those as much as you want or as little as you want, send the box back, they send you five new items, yeah. and that that is is. Growing mass- Those are great massively, models. growing massively. Vanessa does rent the runway. We're actually at Lighthouse. We're mm-hmm. an investor in rent the runway too. Okay. And, uh, but Vanessa does it whenever we go to Vegas. She uh-huh. always gets a dress for rent the runway, or yeah. sometimes even like a fancy wedding. Right. And it totally it's a it's a great start. These, yeah. You know, Lato- I've heard great things about Latote. Yeah, Latote is more everyday women's yeah. wear, but uh, yeah. women love it because. They, um, you know, they get they get new things to wear, and they can try out. They can keep yeah. them and buy them at a discount if they want to keep them. That's really smart. And the company has massive amounts of data too. It's it's a huge percentage of people that rate the products. I don't know what overall e-commerce what the percent of people that rate products are, but at, at Latote, it's it's north of fifty percent. Oh, that's amazing. So and and those ratings are you know everything about quality of the fabric to this this runs a little tight, this runs a little loose. So. They can they can hone the next shipment and the shipment after that and the shipment after that to match the person's taste and and uh, responses to the questionnaire. That's really smart. Yeah, yeah, you don't think data intruding on the clothing business, but that makes perfect sense because sometimes mm-hmm. you know sometimes a cloth really agrees with your skin or mm-hmm. whatever it is, or right. you just look great in red or look great in black, and you want to wear more of that. And right, right, yeah. And another e-commerce company we've invested in is uh, the Books. Oh, yeah. You guys are in that yeah. one? That's awesome. Yeah. B-O-U-Q-S yeah. is in Bouquet. And they're a, a farm-to-table flower company. So they work directly with uh, farms in uh, in South America. And they've, they've cut wow. out. So, so we're looking for new business models. Yeah. So they have cut out the supply chain. And uh, John, the, the founder and CEO of the company, has a great slide, a great graphic that shows it's a huge percentage of flowers in the U.S. come from South America. It's something like. 70 percent yeah and they all go to a warehouse in middleman in miami and then they go to a warehouse in middleman in other parts of the country and then they go to your florist and then you go buy them yeah and, and it's the same like with five the, markups in that chain yeah and it's the same with the e-commerce model so what the books does is they buy directly from the farmers they the farmers pack the the, the nice books packaging yeah. for you oh they do they do and then they uh consolidate a fedex shipment to the u.s that then goes to the customer. So you get, you're getting flowers from them maybe four or five days after they've been cut. Wow. Versus when you buy at the florist, they've probably been cut maybe two weeks ago. That's crazy. So the books flowers, I mean, it's amazing. So they I've last sent, like another 10 days extra. They do. Yeah. 10 days to two weeks. The, wow. the, the, the people that I send them to say, these are amazing. They're, they're still beautiful after this because long. Because one of our clients, it was Vanessa's birthday. Or excuse me, it was for her wedding. We mm-hmm. got, by the way, we got married. I, I forgot to tell you that. 
I, I think I did congratulate you on thank the email. Congratulations. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, but uh, one you, look, our, you look much better. I now. look happier and less stressed. Yeah. But one of our clients actually brought in a uh, Books floral arrangement for Vanessa. And uh-huh. I actually noticed today when I was leaving for work, I'm like, those flowers are still good. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. That was like last yeah. week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really smart. So those kind of businesses, that, right, makes, that right. makes a ton of sense. And then we've done uh, you know, a couple of uh, hardware and heavy tech investments also. A couple of Canadian ones we've done. One is uh, Renovus, which is up in Ottawa. And it's, it's a company that's developing an enabler for broadband processing to make it you know, much faster, uh, much less power consumption on a much smaller footprint. And so they've got, uh, they're, they're going to start shipping uh, commercially uh, early next year. Uh, to some very big, you know, big telecom, telecom providers yeah. and data center providers. Yeah. So that's doing really well. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably like old people that came out of Nortel or something like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of the, 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 the two ends of that's the That's good you guys are doing like that heavy comm science, though, because right. I feel like the venture guys stopped doing that for a while, or, or maybe the telecom bus was so tough that no one wanted mm-hmm. to invest in that. That's good you guys are doing that. What are some... So that's, that's fascinating. So every... And, um, as we're talking, I, I realized I should make a couple intros for you for people who are raising money right now that yeah. are in those sectors. So it was kind of switching gears a little bit from what Azure looks for. Like you mentioned some of the stuff you do, you help with forecasting, you help with raising capital, you help with just get their finances in order. Like what are some of the things, like some of the specific things you're drilling into with your portfolio companies? You know, the, the, we talked about the CAC LTV yeah, model before. So we have, I mean, we'll, we'll have long discussions about what, what are you including in LTV? What are you including yeah. in CAC? And does this really make sense for, for your business? Um, we also, we, we have invested in a number of uh, enterprise SaaS companies as well. And for them, it's, it's, it's really the sales efficiency model. Yep. So how fast are you growing your sales force? And how much faster is that new sales force growing your revenue and yep. your margins? Yep. And we've seen, you know, we, we've seen companies do really well with that. We've seen companies where we need to, you know, prod them a bit more on yeah. that. Uh, but that, that's that's a really important metric for those guys. How fast should, like, a salesperson be self-sufficient? I always hear, like, three to six months for a good salesperson, but... Are they, is it faster now because they have more the lead flow is better or yeah I, I you know frankly I, I I'm not sure yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot either. I don't have a lot of new data on that yeah. when I was at uh, fathom online which was a, a right, search yeah. marketing agency yeah. about 10 years ago uh, we wanted a salesperson to pay with them for themselves within six months so it probably is fa- yeah it probably is faster now and that's and that's part of that that math is once you get that salesperson paying for themselves, their contribution margin is, is really, really high because mm-hmm. they're bringing more clients in. And as long as you're not kind of losing clients, we talked about the right. LTV, right. that's an annuity yep. for hopefully two, three, four years. Right. right. And it's just gravy after that. Yeah. And, and with the enterprise SaaS companies, um, you know, it's, it's great if they have multiple product lines because uh, the, the, the most successful company in our portfolio, enterprise SaaS company in our portfolio, about... About fifty percent of their new business is actually upselling of oh. existing customers. Yeah, and I mean that's just huge because then your your cost of customer acquisition is essentially zero. Yeah. Sure, you can maybe allocate ten percent of your lunch yeah. that you spend to take take the customer out is allocated to customer acquisition. How but did, how did they do that? Like maybe it's partly through acquisition. So they're acquiring. Oh, okay, yeah, they're that's acquiring cool. companies. 
Because um, it's hard for an early stage company to spend the capital on a second product when they're mm-hmm. so focused on making that. Because right. my advice is always like, don't get dis- don't let yourself get distracted. And again, we're working with early stage companies, so like, don't get distracted. Make this a winner. Make mm-hmm. sure your LTV is really high, and then worry about the future later. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be able to raise plenty of capital that way. But right. it sounds like this is maybe a later stage company that's that's bought yeah. a few other things. Yeah, it is. It is. That's cool. What are some that you talked about raising debt for companies? And that's a topic near and dear to my heart because my experience at Lighthouse. Like, what do you what do you advise the companies when they when someone comes to you and says, "Hey, our you know we've got twelve months of runway, but I really like to have sixteen, eighteen. Yeah. Like, what should I do, Steve? Yeah, I mean, the first piece of advice is go look for some debt, mm-hmm. right? And we'll, and we'll help you <laughs> go get more money because um, we'd like them to put non dilutive capital to yeah. work. And it's you know the the, the bank landscape changes frequently too right so occasionally there's new players that come in there's players that drop out there's players that move from very early stage to only late stage for the reasons you're talking about before it's more predictable we see that they've had an established you know cash flow record so we know they're going to be able to pay us back out of their cash flow over the next three four years the terms change all the time um so for our really early stage companies, we're starting to see some banks lend to the, the pre-Series A companies. Wow, really? Yeah. But they're looking for two or three well-known VCs yeah. that are in there, yeah. right? So they're not looking just for angels because they still want the VCs to be the the ultimate backstop, yeah. which isn't a guarantee, but it is uh, the ultimate backstop. It's, it's a, from a lender's perspective, the VCs at least have a good filter. Mm-hmm. And they can always put more money in, mm-hmm. which is what you're looking. And right. but you know what's funny is I, the WTI and Trollpoint have done this for a long time, but mm-hmm. I haven't really seen banks do much. Like that's interesting. So banks are starting to get into that. Do world. much in the the in pre series pre series A, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but small amounts, so maybe yeah. like two hundred fifty thousand dollar okay. loan or, like or up to a million. Yeah. But so what we tell companies too is okay, you're, you're going to get this debt to extend your runway, and. The cost of that debt has to be less than the increase in valuation you're going to see yeah, from that right Probably extra runway. Multiple, like, yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, if you cover it, that's great, but it should be yeah, some yeah. some kind of a multiple. And so we're seeing um, we we help them evaluate term sheets. We always ask them to go out and get three term sheets, uh, and we're looking for an interest only period that's as long as possible. We've seen up to eighteen months, usually mm-hmm. twelve months. Yeah, and the logic on that is the the longer you can not have to pay some of the principal back, right? the more you can redeploy into your sales cycle and mm-hmm. bring new clients in. Yeah. And, and Because really, cash flow is so so critical. Yeah. And so if you have that cash from the bank, you don't want to start yeah. spending it right away on you, the bank. Yeah, exactly. Do you put any... Because I've seen I've seen companies go out... Some entrepreneurs say this. They'll, be, they'll talk to a lender and say, like, I want as much money as you'll give me. And I always, I always caution them against that because there can be a pretty big hangover on mm-hmm. the next round. Have you seen that or can you explain that, that hangover? Yeah, it's usually usually for early stage companies, we're, we're, they're not getting as much as we want them to get, right? <laughs> right. But for um, a later stage company, yeah, sometimes we'll want them to go out and get, say, six, seven million dollars of yeah. debt. But and, you want to be careful they don't choke on too much debt, right? Like that's kind of what I was trying to say. Is like, right, right. Some right. entrepreneurs take too much mm-hmm. and then they can't get the next round and they might they might find somebody who says well our minimum is 10 and they say okay we want we'll we'll, we'll take 10 but 
Yeah, it is. You need the right amount of, of debt. Yeah. And so that, again, depends on the cash flow of the company, what kind of investments they want to make. And are they tracking towards that next round? Because often it could be that Series C round that is used to pay off the remaining debt balance, right? That's a great point. But sometimes the Series C investors don't want to pay off debt. They want all that Series C money to go into it. There's always like that tension, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm laughing because... A lot of my late stage investor friends will like when I was at Lighthouse would be like, oh, I hate it when the companies have debt. But that's kind of the point. Like the early Mm -hmm. stage investors make a lot of those decisions and they realize that they can use lower cost capital to boost the financial performance. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, the Series C investors or Series D investors end up paying a lot of that off. Right. But, you know, as long as the company's doing well enough and kicking butt and tracking, mm-hmm. they're happy to do that because they can see that this is a potential IPO candidate mm-hmm. and can be a big return for them. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think the, um, you know, back to like companies trying to extend their cash flow as long as possible, we often have companies where they, they've gone through that 12 month interest only period or that 18 month interest only period. And they want to renegotiate with the bank for an additional interest-only period. And sometimes they'll get that. Sometimes the banks will do that because uh, they see the, you know, the performance of the company is improving. Uh, they've met their plans. And, okay, we want to you know, re-up you guys. Yeah. It never happens a second time, right? And sometimes <laughs> the companies will want, hey, I don't want to start paying that 100000 a yeah. month. I only want the interest costs. So often we'll... we'll and again, this gets back to banks will change their outlook on what stage they want to invest in and, and their overall outlook of the startup yeah. market. So we've often had companies that go renegotiate with another bank and, and pay off that, that debt. Yeah. You can refinance a venture debt deal just like you would a home mortgage. Right. You know, right. As long as there's someone who's interested in taking. taking right. Right. Risk. Right. Are there any are there any terms that scare you or that you caution the management teams from or? Or how do you approach a venture debt term sheet? I mean, they're from the the, the traditional. Well, I guess I'd call it traditional. Traditional banks like like SVB and uh, Comerica, CNB, Square One, Bridge Bank is getting yeah. getting into those the earlier the, stage. Those are the five that more. I refer our clients to. Yeah, right there. yeah, they're they're relatively standard mm-hmm. uh, agreements. I mean, we, we 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 try to tell them you know don't get a MAC clause, but. I'd say 98% end up with a MAC clause. Yeah, right? some sort of a MAC clause. Yeah. And that's a material adverse change, yes. which basically yeah. means like if the bank determines that right. the company has right. changed trajectory or something weird happened, they can call a default and claw right. back the money right. if they right. want right. to. And that's, that's where a, a good relationship between the VCs and the banks is so important because yeah. – we're not going to allow a company to get to a point where when this becomes a material adverse yeah. change, uh, we're going to we're going to ensure that the company is talking to the bank and that we're talking to the bank about what's going on yeah. before something like that would happen. Yeah. Um, and I think, too, that it's important to really get to know your bank, too, because, you know, in the past we've seen where a bank might start from a company's perspective, might start to misbehave. Right. Mm-hmm. And it makes it really tough on the companies. Uh, so it was about three, four years ago when one of the banks who was new to the space was offering great terms, right? Great longer interest-only periods, yeah. lower interest rates, higher dollar amounts. Yep. And um, a lot of our companies went with that bank, and we said, this is great. And it's great because we know the, the person who's, who's, who's running the, the venture arm of this bank yeah. 
if we didn't know him, it might be a little tougher because we know how he behaves. We know how his credit person behaves. But if it was a brand new player in the space with all new personnel, we don't know what it, how they would define a material yeah, adverse change. Yeah. So it's really important to know the, the players in, in, yeah. in the various banks. I saw a lot of um, – I know who you're talking about with that, and, and they, he did have a good reputation. And, mm-hmm. But there always is the risk that like senior management could come in and be like, ah, we're getting out of this business. Do mm-hmm. what you need to do. Get our money mm-hmm. back, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, over my years, I saw not not necessarily banks, but other kind of specialty lenders come in the market and mm-hmm. do that. And they would they would basically be super aggressive and mm-hmm. give the companies too much money. And then there's this adverse selection that happens to the new guys sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so they could only get kind of the marginal deals, but those marginal deals often go south, and then they end up starting to lose money. Right. And then they panic, and then mm-hmm. they just clamp down on everyone. And it's right. this really terrible cycle. Right. So it's it's actually – I actually always remember that when I'm referring our clients to – I only introduce our clients to, like, the people who have been in the market for a long time because they don't have that issue and they have relationships. And I think to what you were saying is that the lenders don't want to piss off the investors mm-hmm. because that's like – if you just think game theory, that's a repeating game. Like mm-hmm. both parties mm-hmm. want to work with each other. They're important to each other. And, and the investors are their pipeline, right? Exactly. The investors make a lot of the intros. Mm-hmm. So they're going to give every chance they can. Mm-hmm. Um, but new people may not kind of feel that way. Right. So. We, by the way, we could we're, we're, we could go on forever here, but um, what what is something else that you really wish like startups thought about or knew about before before it's too late? Yeah, I think uh, a couple things. First, it's making sure you've got enough runway, whether it be by getting some debt to extend your runway or just starting that fundraising process with plenty of time. Um, I mean, it was interesting to me moving to venture from. Uh, from startups because when a startup raises money right you start that process it can take three to six months right that's a that's a pretty long time in startup land right right Um, it can take three to six months and then you're done and sure you have a relationship with your existing investors but you're 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 done but you have to give yourself plenty of time so you have to anticipate how how your cash flow is going to behave over the next six months in a good scenario, a bad scenario, yeah. and make sure you, you're out there with enough time and that you've got the metrics to support that. Yeah, fundraise. that's the I was going to say it's hard sometimes because the companies are developing those metrics. So they want to wait. They mm-hmm. want to wait a while. Mm-hmm. Right. So they can show investors something that is going to get them really right. excited. But then they end up waiting too long sometimes. Right. And we've had companies that go out to raise money with like four months left. And it's just like mm-hmm. you're going to get. It's no. Everyone's going to wait you out unless right. you're like the next Facebook. They're going to just kind of wait and see what happens. And they have to make sure they they've got the insiders on board. Maybe yes. not in on board to fund the company because it may be out of their. You know, they don't do Series C yeah. or something like that. But make sure that they're supportive of it. And one thing we do at Azure is we we put a blast out there to all the you know the other firms and late stage firms that we think would be appropriate for that yeah. that company. Um, so yeah, making sure that they've, they've got that runway is really, really critical. I was the, the blast actually, or I call it speed dial is mm-hmm. really helpful because, you know, again, the late stage investors, oftentimes their pipeline is the early stage investors. Mm-hmm. And so if you call one of your friends who's done a few deals with you in the past and be like, Hey, remember those times we made money together on, on mm-hmm. those companies? Well, mm-hmm. I got another one for you. Yeah, exactly. That investor is going to take a meeting very quickly. Yeah. And so getting your existing investors to go to bat for you mm-hmm. with potential investors is, yeah. is huge. Yeah. The, the second thing I want to talk about, which can help get you that extra runway or, or, you know, put off that need to raise money is 
you know, experiment with things. Like, I mean, one thing we did at Libris, we would experiment with changes in the business model, changes in payment patterns to our suppliers. You know, I'd say our most successful uh, companies, especially e-commerce companies, they're experimenting with different product lines. Yeah. And, and as we talked about earlier about it's so low cost to, to try things nowadays, low, lower cost to start a business, low cost to try things. You know, test things, test different things yeah. with your website, test new products, test tweaks to your products. Yep. And just a little change could really propel things for we you. We have a client that um, had pretty like million dollar payments kind of per month to mm-hmm. one of its to their providers, mm-hmm. their partners. And they used to pay every month and we we're like, you know, this is just a lot of work. Why don't we go back to them and see if we can pay every three months, like once a quarter. Mm-hmm. And it got, not only did they get rid of that work, but it also mm-hmm. gave them two more months of float on mm-hmm. a million bucks. Yeah. And that actually solved a major cash flow problem for them mm-hmm. and allowed them to not have to raise more money because they right. were able, they're growing so fast they grew into the numbers and it all worked out. But right. that's the kind of, exp- and the, the, the people, the partners they were paying just didn't mm-hmm. even care. They yeah. were like totally yeah. fine with it. You know, yeah. they just had to ask. Well, at Libris, we had that thousands, tens of thousands of book dealers in our network yeah. and we paid them monthly. We actually went to, we, we paid them uh, every two weeks, but we pushed out the cycle. So it was like, good news, we're going to pay you, you know, more often, you know, bad news, we're going to push it out by two weeks. And so that, there's a that, lag. Yeah. That put a ton of cash on the balance yeah, sheet, which extended helpful. our runway. And they were, they were fine with it. Yeah. Uh, once, once they adjusted to that initial kind of cash drain. Yeah. Sometimes so, you just have to ask. Okay. I'm going to have to have you back for another podcast because we have a lot more we can cover and this is really helpful stuff. Can you maybe just tell the audience where they can find you, where they can find Azure? And Yeah. So uh, Azure, we're based in San Francisco. Our website is www.azurecap.com. And I'm uh, steve.gillen at azurecap.com. And if you want to see Steve, go to awesome music venues. And Steve's a big music fan, so if you're into that, you can follow him on Instagram, as I do. You have an open Instagram, right? I do. Okay. I do, yeah. SF Stevie G. Yeah, yeah. Steve, thanks so much. This, seriously, this is a ton thanks, of awesome God. information. Thanks, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks. Mm-hmm.